That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Let's say you, Richard Ellick Murdoch, are you guilty or not guilty of the felonies wherein you stand and die? Not guilty. How shall you be tried? By God and my country. The exact time when Paul and Maggie Murdoch were murdered. At the end of the investigation, it was obvious. I'm not here to work with them. Okay. And the whole point is to have this not fall in the wrong hands. This case is unique, it's unprecedented in South Carolina history. Welcome to Unsolved South Carolina, the Murdochs, murders, money, and mystery. We are joined by our exclusive legal analyst, former South Carolina Attorney General Charlie Condon, our executive producer, Drew Tripp. I'm your host, Ann Emerson, and we have a lot to discuss this week. We have several hearings that we've been waiting to find out about, how they're going to be moving forward, what's going to happen. We've been getting a lot of paperwork. I feel like I'm getting a bigger and bigger pile of paperwork every time I come out onto the set because we are still waiting for information about what is going to, to come about. One thing that we did just learn, though, is that there is a hearing scheduled uh, later this week on Friday in Beaufort County ahead of the state's first financial trials uh, versus Alec Murdoch. This is the first trial that they've been able to hold and already we are having a motion hearing. Drew, can you tell us a little bit about why they're gonna have a hearing this Friday? So on November 9th, uh, which we actually just found out about it yesterday uh, being uh, the 13th, uh, what has happened is in pretrial motions, uh, Dick Harputlian for Alec Murdoch's defense has filed a motion for a change of venue or a outright delay of the trial upcoming on November 27th in the Satterfield case in Beaufort County. This is the criminal trial for the actual fraud and money laundering allegations against Murdoch specific to the Satterfield matter that was scheduled for November 27th citing some preliminary returns on juror questionnaires. Um, and I'll let Charlie explain a little bit about what those entail generally in just a second, but some questionnaires sent out to the pretrial jury pool, asking them generally about their knowledge of the Murdoch, Murdoch sphere of cases. Um, and according to the filing last week by Harputley and Murdoch's team, the so far, the answers to those questionnaires indicate, according to their interpretation, that there's no chance Murdoch's going to get a fair trial in Beaufort County or anywhere in the Low Country. And to follow Dick's line of reasoning, potentially nowhere in the state of South Carolina, unless you arbitrarily wait four months, um, <laughs> wait just four more months, and then maybe suddenly they might get a fair trial. Then, once a year has passed. Um, 
I think it's not so arbitrary when you peel back the layers a little bit why they why they want that to happen. But that's the that's the thrust of it. Uh, they're saying these uh, initial questionnaires of the j potential jurors indicate that most of them who have returned responses so far are aware to varying extents of the trial, and some of them even say they can't be impartial uh, toward Alec Murdoch. And so, given that. Dick is essentially going back to an argument he made in our last full court hearing back in September when they had the uh, joint hearing with Corey Fleming, Alec Murdoch, and Russell Lafitte down in Beaufort County where uh, Harvey essentially made these same arguments that there's no chance he's going to get a fair trial with the jury pool. And yeah, so we've got, we're going to have to have a discussion on that coming up Friday morning, 10 a.m. Beaufort County. Uh, juror questionnaires. Charlie, what what are they, it's pretty straightforward, but what does that process look like of, of there's going to be a standard form, right, of a standard jury questionnaire that you just have to um, disclose anything that could prohibit you from performing your civic duty. But then in some cases there are extra questions that are added, and I think that's what we're dealing with here. Yeah, you may recall from the original Murdoch murder trial. Remember way back when? <laughs> yeah, almost in four months, it'll be a year, <laughs> to your point. Yeah. So all those jurors came in, and at that point in time, there had been some sort of a questionnaire. We didn't know at the time what it was, but there had been some sort of questionnaire that they all sent in, and you could tell that both sides had this sort of base of knowledge. I'm assuming, I could be wrong about this, but I'm assuming that same basic template has been used for this Buford case. Sure. Because if you Remember the, um, the, the, specific, the specific items that Attorney Harputley and Attorney Griffin were, were cherry-picking out of the questionnaires. They're like question 37 or question 38, this juror says this or that. So I'm assuming they're, we should be able to get a copy of this document, I hope, at some point to see what the questions were. But in, in this state, most, in, in a lot of states, you have the ability to have a juror come up and have what's called individual voir dire, which you can question a juror on his or her beliefs about different topics and things, and it can be pretty extensive. We only have that in capital cases, and that's on a very limited topic, whether they can fairly impose the death penalty or not. So in this state, remember how they all stood up and said, who can't be fair, who, who, who's made up their minds? In the, in the double murder. Yeah, in the double murder, mm -hmm. whether they had too much of a, of, a, of a relationship with either parties there, and they read out the witness list, that long witness list. We should see that again if this case gets underway in Beaufort County, a similar sort of uh, process. But evidently what's happened here is this, these questionnaires have come in and the defense believes that the questions, the answers are so uh, black and white that we can't have a fair trial, which by the way, that is, in my humble opinion, Judge Newman has made it very clear that's not the standard in South Carolina. The standard, he, in, in the Murdoch case, he said the standard is not whether you've heard about the case, but whether you can come in here and make up your mind based upon the evidence solely. And so some of those jurors are clearly disqualified, but some I think are in the gray zone. So the ability to have them come in and answer questions, I think is, whether they can be fair or not, is still there. But I'm intrigued by how this is being set up because, right. whoa, we have so many things swirling around at the same time. Accused Judge Newman, pushed this case off, uh, the state's response. I'm sort of thinking if Judge Newman in his wisdom is having some sort of a, a get-together, so to speak, to calm the waters. And it wouldn't surprise me if there's some sort of uh, announcement relative to his involvement going forward and what's going to happen uh, time-wise. But we shall see. Who knows in, in a Murdoch case? To the point where I think that I think the attorneys will be asking him, are you planning on 
on seeing this through. I mean, I, couldn't you just see mm -hmm. uh, Dick or Jim stand up and say, Judge, are, are you going to recuse her? Just flat yeah, out ask. I mean, they can ask, exactly. right? In their public filing, they have this legal expert who says that for Judge Newman to preside would be a violation of the judicial code of conduct. And so I would think on the front end, they would ask the judge that our position is you shouldn't even be hearing this. Mm -hmm. uh, let's talk about that. But my hunch here is that Judge Newman has a plan. It's going to be a very good plan. We'll probably have to wait to see till Friday to see what the plan is. Well, and we, we got this um, response from the AG's office uh, that this was uh, going to be about juror questions. Mm -hmm. Very specifically, when they wrote back to us, they said this is about juror questions. And, but he did, uh, the, the AG's office did say that they would be possibly speaking about change of venue as well. So, so that plot thickens. The plot thickens, and and it, and if that opens up change of venue, then it's just yeah, it's like a domino effect. Because once again, I got a stack of papers right mm -hmm. here that say there's um the defense attorneys have been working very hard at trying to uh, delay whatever is supposed to be happening on November 27th, which is this financial trial. Right, so right. put it in it, perspective, yeah, we've talked about this, right. but I think it needs to be reiterated to our listeners and, and viewers that. Here we're having a trial on something that this defendant has admitted to right. numerous, numerous times. Mm -hmm. So it's one of the most unusual criminal trials I think I've ever even heard about in the state of South Carolina. Someone's going to trial on something that he's admitted in many venues under oath. And the reason he's doing so, he wants to avoid the first strike on a three strike uh, and you're in for life uh, sentence. Well, and to the point that Harpootlian even said in... Um, when they were asking to move, uh, and, and to be clear, they were asking to move um, Murdoch's trial out of the 14th Circuit or to stay it for a year um, because then maybe all of this, you know, all of this attention will start to die down is the idea. But, but he even says in the filing that, you know, they, they're waiting for a sentencing on the federal right. on the federal uh, plea, you know, that, that he's already pleaded guilty He's expecting a sentencing in the federal courts. And then we know that he had a confession of judgment. And this is a case, the very famous case of the, the Satterfield Sons, the, mm -hmm. the financial case that sort of broke open this whole mm -hmm. uh, flood of uh, victims, uh, alleged victims of Alec Murdoch. So we've heard this story. I, I mean, I've sat in how many hearings now with Corey Fleming and Russell Lafitte and you know, Alec Murdoch, we've heard this story over and over again, and at no point has someone said, oh, that didn't happen. That's, that's right. That's, it is so it's, redundant is the only uh, thing I can think of. Which, and that speaks again to the, to the under, the undertones, the, the underscore of what's happening here, the, 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 the background uh, to this all. And I, I'll, I really went over a lot of this in my written story on this last night. You can find that on abcnews4.com. You can find it linked on my Twitter profile. But I went back to that September hearing. We've had all these discussions before about the change of venue, the impartial jury with respect to and delaying the Satterfield in all the financial trials. Um, to Anne's, uh, also to Ann's point about it being 
a case where they're trying to say, oh, we've already gotten a federal conviction. What's the rush? What's the big deal? What are we, what are we trying to do here? Uh, you're going to have your day in court. They also, to Charlie's point, Dick in that September hearing said outright, if they, being the state, would not pursue their individual trials and not pursue this three, this three strikes, life, life sentence, felony convictions, and they would just agree to all, charge them all as one indictment and let us plead to one thing as opposed to each individually, that this would be a non-issue. They would already be, this would have already been pleaded out and there wouldn't be a trial. So as it stands, what, what's the context? We've discussed this before, Charlie. Their job, Dick and Jim's job, uh, as Alec Murdoch's defense attorneys, is to get the best possible outcome they can for him. <laughs> and even though what we know and what the whole world knows at this point is, is there's not a good possible outcome for him anymore. But it, it, it seems that they're somehow trying to hold out hope that if they can get this murder trial, get the murder convictions tossed, get the, get the case back to trial in the murder case, or in the murder charges, get those back to trial, that conviction is vacated, the sentences are vacated, we go back to court on that. In the meantime, he's going to have his sentencing on his federal plea. He's already, he's already pleaded guilty. The only thing Murdoch has pleaded guilty to at this point is his federal indictment on fraud and money laundering charges. So if they can delay, kick the can down the road, uh, throw up as many roadblocks as they possibly can, maybe there's a potential somehow that he could get transferred to federal custody and he ends up in federal prison as opposed to a state prison. And I lay out in my story yesterday that there's still, and we've discussed this on the podcast before, there's still, state has primary custody. States has the initial charge, the original charges predating everything the feds have done. It's a heck of a long shot that he's ever going to get out of state custody, I think, because he still has the outstanding, that he didn't get bond on the murder charges. He would, have to go, he would have to have a bond hearing on the murder charges if the case went back and was retried. Then he's got the issue of the $7 million bond on his original financial charges that he never paid. Mm -hmm. So is he going to get... Is he going to get that bond waived? Does he have a something? Or, yeah. Like, is, is that bond going to get waived somehow so where he can, the state will release custody of him and send him to federal prison? Uh, what's, are, are they going to go through a bunch of motion? This is, again, I, I think this is a, a... They're throwing Hail Mary after Hail Mary after Hail Mary here, it seems like. Um, except, except if you step back and... and, and I, I think this is his ultimate goal, and probably have discussed this a lot, is at his age, he's how old? I, he's in his early 50s, so 53, 54. They want to make this a lawyer who has had personal issues, who's stolen a lot of money from clients. Mm -hmm. We've had that before, not to this large extent. But if you make it that sort of a case, then the possibility of him getting out during his lifetime, I think, is high. So they want to undo the murder convictions with the, with the Becky Hill uh, process, so to mm -hmm. speak. And which, by the way, the state, we can talk about this, of course, oh, shortly. The state had a really yes. strong response along yeah. those lines. But if they can get a retrial, I do think the ability of them to have a better presentation, shall we say, at the second go around, typically I think a retrial benefits the state. But I think unusually in this case, I think it may well benefit the defense. So if they can hang up the jury trial on a retrial, 
get their murder convictions undone. He's a lawyer turned bad on his clients, which is horrible. We've all talked about that, but he's not a murderer. And so he goes into all these systems, federal, state. So I think the likelihood of him being released during his lifetime would be high. Goes up. Yeah. Substantially. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. So let's talk about this answer from the state on the question of the retrial hearing. Uh, the, it was written by a member of the AG team, uh, Johnny, Johnny James. James. Yeah. And um, this, there were two, two big things that I pulled out of it. Basically, one was the question of, well, why are we even having an evidentiary, hear, evidentiary hearing? Why should we be having, you know, kind of raising that question? And then, of course, um, then we see all of this information that comes out of, out of this answer, this response from the state, including the first time that we've heard from the Colleton County Clerk of Court, Becky Hill. But before we get to that, for James to write about the evidentiary hearing even taking place, is that a question, Charlie? Like, wasn't that something that came down from the the Supreme Court? I was a bit, Court yeah, I was a bit surprised by uh, that that lot of argument because I thought the order from the Court of Appeals was that there shall be an evidentiary hearing, and I thought it was uh, that's kind of a language, but maybe I, I, I didn't fully appreciate the fact that it still may be discretionary with whoever the trial might judge might be. Mm -hmm. So maybe he thinks he can, and might as well argue that point because it might be granted by the trial court, but I think that would then be another issue that goes back to the Court of Appeals if there's not one. I think the more likely scenario is there is going to be some sort of an evidentiary hearing. So his, 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 his I think, more salient point was if we're going to have such an animal, such a hearing, keep it very limited. Only have the judge ask questions that to the jurors, uh, have you been unduly influenced? Uh, did, did the clerk say these things to you? Sort of a judge-driven with no cross-examination. Of course, that would be a very short hearing, relatively speaking. I've got to think the defense is going to fight that tooth and nail, wouldn't you think, Drew? Yeah, um, and, and that's, that, that speaks to something that, that we've touched on several times here, is, is when you, in our analyses of the, uh, the original motion uh, dating back a couple months at this point from Team Murdoch, uh, it's for all its scandal and everything that goes on in that, it's a very narrow question at the end of the day. Um, and I think the AG's office, uh, Assistant Attorney General James, uh, he does a good job of cutting through the, cutting through the, I guess the, the, uh, the distractions there and getting to that point. Getting to your point of like, should we even be having a hearing, I don't think uh, that the state has necessarily been as decisive as it would like to have been in showing that there is no reason for a hearing, uh, at least a hearing, um, because it, they make the point that, oh, well, and th these are all very, very valid points. They make the point that if you look at all those, those four affidavits that Murdoch's team had originally submitted, two of them 
the, the people didn't even sign themselves. They're technically hearsay affidavits from uh, Holly Miller, the, the paralegal. The affidavits were technically hers. They're not signed by the individual jurors, and they're uh, sworn by her individually. And the state makes the point, that's hearsay. And they're not admissible, and they've moved to strike them. They don't want them included. Uh, then the, the third juror affidavit was from the egg lady who was removed, didn't participate in any of the deliberations as to Murdoch's guilt or innocence. Therefore, what she has to say on the matter is largely irrelevant, uh, and she has strong motivation to, because of the spectacle that's been made of her, rightly or wrongly, uh, but she has motivations based on her character and uh, behaviors being scrutinized, she has uh, potential motivation to, to strike back at the state and the court and say some things that are worth taking with a grain of salt. That leaves one juror affidavit, the one juror, juror 630, who had something to say about what she witnessed, what he or she witnessed from Becky Hill, from the court staff and everything that went on and saying, Yes, there was some suspicious, if not, I guess, questionable behavior by the clerk in the instruction she was giving the court. And to that point, uh, the state, I thought, uh, did a good job of pointing out the, the weaknesses and failures in the other affidavits and how they don't really bring, bring anything actionable to the table. But at the same time, they also bring a checklist of, uh, they've gone out and interviewed all the other jurors now or most of the other jurors, some refuse to speak. They've gone out and interviewed all of them now, and they're saying, um, yeah, I think I remember Becky saying something about Watch's body language. Three different jurors that were not part of the original four affidavits from Murdoch's team, three interviewed by the state, now say, I remember Becky saying something about body language. I don't want to necessarily pick up the, 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 the ball here for the defense team, but if you step back from this, one of the things that, that struck me about Becky Hill's affidavit was, first of all, the timing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Elected official, she was accused of all these horrible things. How long ago? Was it a month September. ago? September. So if and she has two very highly qualified uh, criminal defense attorneys. So think of that scene. They meet with her. If she did nothing, and I, I'm not here to condemn her in any way, I think highly of her, but if she did absolutely nothing wrong, you'd have a press conference the next day, right? Yeah. And just go and after. And a lawsuit for defamation and, and, just, just, and libel. just get going there. So I have to think that at some level there was some questions or some concerns about what she, in fact, did do. And here we've had with the defenses, I mean, with the state's motion, where they did talk about, well, she said, watch your body language. Now, well, so the, if you look at what 630 actually said in the affidavit from Ms. Hill, if, if it does talk about, I did not instruct the jury to look at his movements. Um, it does not talk about uh, body language. Okay. In this, in, in juror 630. So. Well, wouldn't, that, wouldn't that be the same, same side of the coin though? Like watch him closely, look at his movements. Wouldn't movements be akin to body what, language? What does the juror say relative to what Clark Hill said that on, on the state? Uh... What does the juror say in 630? I, yeah. I can look it up. Yeah. Um, but with the body juror. language is, it, it's just the language is a little different. Mm -hmm. It seems like, but so what, it, it adds to the, like he said, she said part right. of this. 
But I, am I correct that one one juror, if not several, said that the clerk said something to them about body test, language? Body language. So stepping back from that, having tried a lot of cases in uh, in this state, to have a clerk of court say anything right. to a juror about what's going on in the courtroom is just highly, highly improper. Well, and it, it, it this is my question to you as well is what is the um, what is the bar that is raised well, that's where, with a that's, clerk? That's a great question, too, because I've, I've read, I haven't done the extensive reading about this, but I have read uh, a lot of the cases involved with this, and there are really sort of two lines of thinking with the court. One is sort of a harmless error analysis, which in this case would come to the fore, like, right away. Mm -hmm. Like, of course, there's so much evidence, it's harmless. But there's not a line of cases that talk about the, the, uh, the, the sacrosanct nature of the jury system. And to have public officials impugning upon that very directly, that creates a, a, a very uh, unacceptable level of behavior that could result in a, in a new trial. So I don't know what the, our Supreme Court would do, and I don't know what the trial, whether Judge Zuma or some other judge, what, what standard they would apply. But I would say this, that if you look at her affidavit, in the, not to criticize fellow members out there of the media, but they, they took the bait, so to speak. Like, clerk denies, allegation denies. denies. Yeah, yeah. But she didn't. Right. Because if you, if you look at her affidavit, she went piece by piece on the affidavits of the jurors that the defense had and did deny those in large part. But she didn't deny the affidavits that the, what the state was saying relative to just what you talked about. Like, let's look at the... Um, the body language. And so I think they've got a little bit of a problem, not a little, I think they've got a big problem on the state side, that you've got some issue there that is very substantive. This isn't a, right. a minor issue. You've got a clerk of court who has put herself as really a public figure here now with her book publishing in the middle of all this. And it appears at the very least, correct me if I'm wrong, if you, if you distill everything, that at the very least we do have her, uh, the state admitting that there was something that they wish she hadn't done. Let's put it kindly. And so we get past all that that we've, we've talked about. So what does it come down to from the state's perspective? Um, he leads off by saying, the motion fails to show Murdoch is entitled to an evidentiary hearing or relief uh, because it, this ultimately boils down to a single, quote, constitutional allegation, which is that Clark Hill told jurors not to believe the defendant and thereby violated his right to an impartial jury. Again, goes on to point out that only one juror polled so far has said that, and that was juror 630, but juror 630 also ultimately said, I was influenced by other jurors, not Becky Hill. And that, 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 is, a, that is a point we've made several times, and it's a point that they rely on heavily here. And again, juror 630's specific allegations in, in their affidavit was not to be fooled, watch him closely, look at his actions, look at his movements, look at his movements, which I would say is uh, kissing cousin to body language, um, uh, things like, like that. It, it's, close, it's close enough that when you take it in context of what these other three have said mm -hmm. uh, from the state's investigation, um, still it, it, it raises an issue. But they say that's still, at the end of the day, irrelevant because that is, we have here, the juror who is making that claim is also saying out of the they're also saying that they weren't influenced by right. that. Right, didn't matter to them. 
And so that, I, that's what that is going to get to the end of the day, point, isn't it? Yeah, whether whether yeah, if if you, uh, I think that's what's the standard here? Can you can you right. can you mess with the jury, so to speak? If you're the clerk of court, if 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 they say at the end of the day, well, I still would have decided this way, or if you're saying some things to them, that's per se that's enough to overturn. Wow, well, a six-week like trial. That's the thing that's so, just, I, I keep just going back to this. It's like, it's, it's unfortunate this has happened. Well, how long did it take to get it through all of the financials on the six-week trial? Was it one week, two weeks? Mm, it's like maybe a week, 10 days. It was, like it, it was a good chunk of February. I remember that. Uh, yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So what if we, what if, what if our uh, defense team figures out a way not to include that, then that's going to shorten the well, trial I, time. Yeah, actually, you lose that mini trial yeah, within the trial. That's true too. A couple of thoughts on that too, just to just, you know, I've had a lot of retrials, maybe fortunate and unfortunate as a prosecutor. And typically you, you, you know what the defense is going to do. And so you're, you're geared for that. It, I think it really benefits the state. I think in this case, what's so different about this is remember how First of all, the, the, there was no sequestration of witnesses. That means that the witnesses weren't forced out of the courtroom with the testimony. And I, I actually always thought I was kind of really stunned by that, that the, the defense didn't move them out of the courtroom because the state's presentation, all like I think of my friend Kenny Kinsey sitting there looking at their witness, what the, their defense witness testified to. He knew mm -hmm. what exactly, mm -hmm. you, in your typical murder trial or a high-profile trial, or really most trials, you don't have that. The jurors, uh, the witnesses are sequestered. They have no idea what the other person is saying. Right. And so the smoothness of the presentation, uh, I thought was really, really smooth uh, and was enhanced by, by that aspect. And I'm not so sure the defense, of course, they did benefit too, but I thought theirs was sort of choppy on the expert side. And then I do think you mentioned maybe they can keep the financials up, but I think the more likely question is not having the defendant testify. I really thought that case got much stronger by the state with the defendant Murdoch testifying. Great point, because that's actually something that the jurors that did talk that mm -hmm. went on to the Today Show when mm -hmm. they flew up there with Miss Hill, uh, they said that one of the biggest issues was the fact that he testified. Oh, yeah. And that can be easily rectified. Yeah, you, <laughs> no, you just don't <laughs> yeah. talk. Mm -hmm. He didn't have to talk. Mm -hmm. And yeah. he, I don't think he would make that choice again. Yeah, I, I, that to me was uh, another thing. I don't know if you remember this or not, but remember there's a lot of stipulation of exhibits. Remember that big, thick exhibit that the state had on all the um, PowerPoints? It was that, that witness, to, I forget his name, that was Lady did a great job, but he had a thick document that the state stipulated to, I mean the defense stipulated to, that had all this uh, forensic information there. He had such a smooth testimony on that, and that document came right in. So I wonder if they're going to rethink that. No, we, we're going to make you. It would extend that. That would have extended that trial by at least another two weeks, just on the chain of custody type boring witnesses. And if I'm the defense, I'd make this a long, boring trial uh, going you into like even, the three, four months. Even see straight. Yeah, by and it's 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 much more of a mess. So we'll see what happens on, if there is in fact a retrial. But again, playing the long game for the defense, I do think they really do think that if they can get a retrial, they get a good shot of a hung jury on the second go round, and then he's a a lawyer that's gone bad. And we unfortunately have seen that in South Carolina before, not to this great extent. But those lawyers get out. They haven't. They're not going to spend the rest of their life in prison. That's why I think the attorney general's office is flipping back to the three strikes and you're in for life, because that is the kill shot. If they get that, three easy trials mm -hmm. takes those. Each will take less than a week, and he'll be sitting in a horrible South Carolina prison, literally, till he dies. Mm -hmm.
CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. So he wants to avoid that. That's their insurance policy. And you said that literally from the moment that we met with the prosecution. What was Mm. it? A week or two weeks Wilson after it, that was like said, literally the, the headline mm-hmm. you took out of that whole mm-hmm. thing was they were going for three strikes. Mm-hmm. Um, and they needed that insurance policy. It looks like it may be, uh, uh, I hate to use the word necessary, but because the federal, uh, we've talked to this before, but I mean the federal government getting involved with this, I think it is unnecessarily complicated, uh, the situation, because the amount of time they got in federal court, what was it? It's not, wasn't terribly much. Five years, seven years? Lafitte got seven years, and then Fleming, Corey Fleming got three years, ten months, mm-hmm. in which we know he'll serve three years, three months uh, due to the 85% federal rule. Um, so plus the, thir- plus the uh, effect of 13 years that he got from, this, from the state. Uh, but the federal sentences, yeah, aren't terribly... And Murdoch, where does he stand on the federal side? He's not been sentenced. He's pleaded. And what is he facing under the guidelines? Do we <sighs> They've intended to pursue the maximum sentences, and mm-hmm. he he's faces thirty year sentences, which would be effectively. Uh, he's in his mid fifties. Yeah. Yeah. He, Is that a parolable one? Uh, uh, of course, no parole in federal court. Eighty five. So yeah. So maybe what they're thinking is we can get him in the federal. But I think he'd much rather prefer to serve his time in federal federally, and then still get out when he's alive. Yeah. Potentially. Yeah. So it's a super complicated legal situation, a moving target, and um, we'll Well, see where this goes. So I guess this is where I'm wondering where this goes right now. So we know that we're going to have a hearing on Friday. Mm -hmm. At that hearing, we're probably going to decide, we're going to hear about these juror questions. Um, I'll be interested to hear if they're going to actually sequester this jury um, and whether or not that's playing a role in all of this mm-hmm. as well. So we should learn more about the juror questions, what, what's going on. As far as how, uh, how effective the defense's argument is with particularly Judge Newman, um, as far as saying that we want to change a venue and we want, and or, or we want um, just for you to stay it. Uh, just for another year, just let it ride. They've got this federal sentencing, all of this that's going on in um, in Murdoch's different criminal cases. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just it's something. Yeah. When we're going to get information on maybe Friday. This is part of it. When is the federal sentencing set for him? It's not set yet, um, oh, but right. it'll be 2024. It will not be this year. Is that right? It will not be this year. Uh, I spoke to Emily Limehouse with yeah. the U.S. Attorney's Office uh, a week or so ago. Yeah. The with the on the federal side they for any criminal case at the federal level they have something called a pre-sentence report where the u.s department of probation and parole they assign an investigator to review the facts of the case um review the trial what took place and then they come up with sentencing guidelines for and they present their recommendation to the court and then the two sides the defense and the prosecution make their own, write their own memo and their rationale and what they think the Senate should be. 
Um, and that process takes a long time. We know with Russell Lafitte, it took until August 1st of 2023. He was convicted uh, a little, over, little under a year ago, November 22nd, 2022, or November 21st, 2022, mm -hmm. I, I remember. But That's right. it, it took a, a little bit of time. I need to look into that. That could that. be a part of the chess piece here because yeah. there's no parole in federal court, but you get some time off, I think, for good behavior. So maybe what they're thinking is got another chess piece here. Mm -hmm. that if we get him on the federal side and we're down the state side, that he might be able to live out his sentence in, federal, in the federal system. That could be part of the long run. That, that's, that's what I was sort of getting at. And, and I mm -hmm. think you still there have the, the bond issue, I, <laughs> potentially, going, going all the way back in will the state relinquish custody with mm -hmm. original or primary jurisdiction with the original charges and things. But I, I don't know if then does the do convictions then supersede charges at that point? So if he's been, if his murder charges get vacated, then the only conviction against him standing is his federal conviction. Does that then somehow make him give the feds custody, uh, prim primary custody? Uh, it, it does it even work that way? I don't know enough about that, so I don't want to speculate, Charlie. You can yeah, answer. I actually looked into that because it's actually a very gray area. Yeah. I think he's considered a state inmate. They have primary custody and they can keep him. But if the federal government wants to fight for him, they've got a shot at him. I don't think they want to fight for him at this point. No, we have not gotten that. Mm -hmm. That has not been the feeling from Limehouse and, and the attorneys over there, U.S. attorneys. They've, I mean, when we were dealing with all the asset seizure and how, you know, yeah. Dick and Jim were like, we need the feds to come in and seize these assets because they're not being allocated proper or, you know, yes. allegedly, you know, all this kind of stuff. Um, and, and U.S. attorney's office was like, nope. We're good. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we're not going to do that. This isn't our, this is, we're not dying on that hill. <laughs> like, yeah, that was very surprising. Yeah. Ways, yeah. You know, that's something we haven't even, we've not even really discussed on the, this. And it's worth a few sentences, but the, what's happening with Murdoch's assets. Uh, when the federal government said, yeah, we're not playing ball with you on that. We're not going to come in and try and swoop and take away what the state receivership right. attorneys, all that money and funds they seized. It, while this has been going on, uh, there was a deadline that passed at the end of October for uh, basically anybody with a claim against Alec Murdoch's remaining assets to get, get those claims in. And I, I reviewed most of what has been filed so far. I think everything that's been filed so far. And I mean, it just really puts into perspective the final accounting from the receivers, the, the, the court-appointed attorneys in charge of marshalling Murdoch's money, may, keeping track of what goes in and out, making sure nothing gets wasted, hidden, squirreled away. Those guys, their final accounting after a fees and everything else and paying off debts and other stuff like that, he's only got $1.5 million left. And then, oh, by the way, they're going to have to pay a uh, special referee to right. uh, out of that again, I think, to mediate and divvy out all the assets. You compare that $1.5 million that Murdoch has left officially to his name, um, and you compare it with some of the assets, some of the claims, like good. Oh, 40 million? For, uh, yeah, I think it was the, Arth yep. the Badger case. Yeah, the Badger claim 40, went up to 40. $40 million. They, they said their claim would have been worth had that that case been taken to trial um, uh, for the civil case. For the, right. uh, it, 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 it's, it's that money. alone, it, we're talking tens of millions of dollars from the Beach family. Um, uh, it, it, there's just, it's going to be interesting to see how that 
comparatively, and I don't say this like $1.5 million for uh, anybody listening to this or sitting here, that, that's life-changing money. But when you've got to split it up about eight different ways right. uh, with people who have verified and legitimate claims against it and they, their, valua their valuations on what they're actually owed versus what he has left, it's just really astonishing to that point. I just wanted to touch on that just generally. But that's all happening in the background sometime I think around February is when the final decisions are going to be made on what happens wow. to that money. Well, and so I guess finally is we don't know when the evidentiary hearing is going to be held. Is there any way that we think that Newman would broach that subject while we go into the hearing? He seems to like to schedule things. You know, like when we've gone in there and he likes to bring everything together. Like he, you know, we've been, I've been in several hearings now. We've been in several hearings where they brought uh, a lot of different cases together. I so, you know, I think there's a good chance that's going to happen this Friday. So we may get more answers um, is the, is the final thought I, here. I, I and, and one of those is when this evidentiary hearing, which is a retrial hearing, on the double murders is actually going to take place. So we will have more answers for you at the end of this week, we think. Mm -hmm. And when we do, we'll come back and, and we'll report on it. But for now, thank you so much for joining us. And please stay with abcnews4.com uh, with our Twitter handles with uh, Charlie and Drew and myself. And uh, we are going to try and keep you up to date on the latest. Uh, I think things are going to start moving very quickly, uh, possibly because of the holidays. Um, they're going to want to get some answers, so uh, we will let you know what happens. Thanks for joining us. Audible is the destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Allow your imagination to be piqued by stories that are brought to life through captivating sound design, eerie soundscapes, and dynamic performances. As an Audible member, you'll be able to keep your heart rate up month after month because you can choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. If you're in the mood for a shocking psychological thriller, check out None of This is True by Lisa Jewell. Embrace brand new exclusive thrillers from bestselling authors who are guaranteed to keep you gripped. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500. That's audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500.